0: One, as we continue through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Sunday morning in the book of Revelation, encourage you to read ahead the last portion of chapter 6. Tonight, James chapter 1, we left off at verse 14, but we are going to start at verse 1, get a running start in context. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, and that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given unto you. But let him ask in faith, not with doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven, tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. And let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beautiful appearances perish. And so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Now blessed is the man who endures temptation, For when he is approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he was tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted, nor by evil does he himself tempt anybody. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, and then when desire is conceived... gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And of His own will He, will, he brought forth us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your servant James, for his heart, Lord, to seek those, Lord, dispersed all around the Roman empire of his day, to encourage and strengthen them in the trials and tribulations. Lord, to show them how it is to be a believer, to curtail the tongue and lusts and passions to make it through the trials and tribulations, the, ter- the temptations of life. Lord, as we see tonight, it is by your word that we are strengthened. And by your word, we continue in all things. And so, Lord, thank you for those serving. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. We did not leave off in verse 14. It was 13. Last week, we started, as James did, talking about trials. Now trials is something that God allows to happen in our own life so that we continue on, did you see that? To persevere, to endure, to get through. It strengthens us. And then he goes from those trials into tonight's topic as well as being doers of the word tonight. It is our our second favorite topic on topic trials, amen? Didn't you love last week? You're going to love tonight temptation what the idea is as a believer every believer goes through trials but every human being goes through temptation so what does it look like that you've come out of the world and into the body of Christ how then do I deal with the temptations of life specifically this body this tent that we occupy have you seen your tent we're going to see that we've looked at it in the mirror. Hopefully some of you looked in your, at yourself in the mirror before you came. and you get yourself ready to go. We're going to see what it is like to come outside of the world, inside of the body of Christ, by the Holy Spirit, helping us not only through the trials, but also the temptations. And so he says in verse 13, picking it up, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So, James now shifts from trials to the, own, <laughs> to the unholy temptations. Just as holy trials are designed to bring out the best in us, the encouragement and the hupomone, right, to continue on, to persevere, so unholy temptations are designed to bring out the worst in us. One thing must be clearly understood. When we are tempted to sin, James tells us that that temptation does not come by God. We will play that all out through this section. God does not test or try men. As fo- well, listen, let me put it this way. From last week, God does allow the testing of our faith, but he never allows the temptation to come into our life by himself so that we would fall. Everybody got that? His goal is not to go, man, Robert, you're right in front tonight. What are you doing? You were over there. I couldn't see you as much, but I did still feel, pick on you last week. I mean, he doesn't I haven't picked on Robert in a while. Right? I I haven't, I haven't, so I'm going to bring this temptation because I want to see him fall into evil. That is not a good, good father. God, by his Holy Spirit, allows us to get through the trials of life so that we could be a blessing to other people, right? To continue on in our faith. But the temptations are that which we experience in these tents, so again please don't think that you are having this evil temptation come by God. We don't need God's help at all in this area of temptation. Amen. We we don't listen, we don't even need the devil's help. We sin on our own just fine without him. <laughs> James knew that most people have an evil tendency to blame God when they find themselves in these temptations. But by his very nature, God is unable to either be tempted, as James says, or he himself tempts anybody, or into evil, or into these trials. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own, King James says, lusts. New King James says, desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And I love how he says here, don't be deceived. That's what he wants us to understand today. So he says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, or uh, other, the King James says, lust. Now, normal desires of life were given to us by God, and we need to remember that. Without these desires, we could not function, amen? Unless we felt hunger or thirst, we we wouldn't eat. (laughs) <laughs> or drink, and then we would die. So there is a natural human desire for food, right? I'm going to leave that there. We'll get into that. I was just thinking of Italy and how unnatural it was for them to put all of those gelato stands everywhere. <laughs> We'll get into that. One gelato was good. 35, not so good. When uh, the guys and I, we were in Turkey, we were having a a little competition with the other churches on the bus, and it was how many Magnum um, ice cream bars we can eat in a day. 14. Yeah, I lived. It was wonderful. Enjoyed the whole thing. But gluttony, not so good. (laughs) We're going to see that. Right? Your body has natural desires that God... Who likes breathing? Okay. Who likes eating? Who likes drinking? All of these things that God has given us. Without fatigue, the body would never rest and would eventually wear out. Sex is a normal desire, and without it, the human race would not continue. So, too, when we want to satisfy these desires in a way that God does not prescribe... That's when we get into trouble, and that is what James is talking about here. Again, eating is normal, but gluttony is a sin. Sleep is normal, but laziness is a sin. Man must work, amen, and thou shalt not get a government check. Wait. I mean, if the government pays you not to work, what does that conflict with the Bible? Man must work. He is programmed to work, and that is what God has given us. Again, marriage, as we saw in Hebrews 13, 4, is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. Listen, some people try to become spiritual by denying these natural desires. Early on in in church history, past the 300s, we started to see people in asceticism What that means is monks would set themselves on a mountaintop. They would deny all earthly flesh and all earthly desires. That's not what God said at all. And these are natural, given by God. They have their proper place. Again, fire is good in a fireplace, is it not? Fire is not good (laughs) on the thousand acres behind Carolina Forest, out of control. It's not good out there. Fire is good. God has given us desires. But at some point, people thought, well, I'll just be more spiritual. Remember, and we're going to talk about religion, hopefully, at the end tonight. But people got to this place where they thought, well, if I do more, then God will love me more. Remember, the Old Testament Jews thought, well, if 660 laws were good, why not 6,000? They kept adding to it. And James is dealing with people who only about 20 to 30 years after Jesus already start on the path. Well, Jesus said two commandments, why not make more? Or if this body is bad, then I will deny it. And listen, James is trying to correct it here. Again, these fundamental desires of life, um, William McDonald said it this way, are like the steam in the boiler that makes the machine go. Turn off the steam and you have no power. Let the steam go in its own way and you have destruction. The secret is the consistent control, having control of the desire. These desires must be our servants and not our masters. And this we can do only, amen, James is going to tell us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man is always ready to shift responsibility for his sin, sins. Have you noticed that? If he cannot blame God, as we saw in the last verse, he will adopt an approach of modern psychology by saying that sin is a sickness. He will call it a disorder. He will call it everything other than God. He will call it a, a disease, but that's not what God calls it. He calls it drunkenness. He calls not an affair. He calls it adultery. The Bible lists very specific sins. But because man doesn't want to go down that path, he has invented the modern idea of psychology. Again, by saying that sin is a sickness. And in this way, he hopes to escape judgment. Because if it's not from God or God isn't saying it, well, then it's just relative. Amen? Amen. <laughs> It's it's all relative. What you think is bad is not really bad over here. You can't do that, and we cannot live in a world. We are dangerous in this country by not having absolute truth. Again, sin is not a sickness. It is a moral failure for which man must give an account. Some even try to blame inanimate things for sin. But material things are not sinful in themselves. Sin does not originate there. It originates in us. And so man wants to blame everybody but himself. And the Bible says you're a sinner. And if you use those desires outside of the firebox, you're going to get burned. Now listen, James tracks the lion In the den, when he says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Again, sin comes from within us. It's from our old nature, our old, evil, fallen, unregenerated nature. People don't want to hear that in church today. Before Jesus, we were going, anybody else know where we were going? You'll get a mint out there. You were going straight to hell in our unregenerated state. Before we leave these desires, I need to stress something that we kind of learned in the last chapter of Hebrews, which was helping each other in the body of Christ and not being a burden to one another. Remember that? And so we need to remember that as believers, we need not participate in tempting our fellow follower of Christ. Pick any of the normal desires we should help people deal properly, not in a sinful way. So uh, let let me give you a couple of examples. Let me do the first one here. I know this is not in my notes, but if you have the liberty of drinking alcohol. Now, I, I just don't suggest that. There's no good in it for you. There's no need for it for you. But if, if that is something for you, but you know a brother in the body of Christ and they're coming over to a barbecue, but he had an, he was a drunkard, we say addiction, you shouldn't tempt him by having that on the counter. Amen? So you and I can participate in helping our brother or sister in Christ not fall into temptation we can help them out with that in all areas helping one another and building each other again from the last chapter of hebrews to help them succeed in their walk in marriage how can i help my spouse not fall into temptation be it with sex or with diet or with work Choose to love and encourage, not to tear down with words or with deeds. That's what the world does. That's what the enemy wants you to do. And I just need us to understand, we have enough temptation in the world. We don't need our brother and sister in the body of Christ helping out. Amen? Amen. We don't need to help each other out in that. Whatever that desire is, that normal human desire, don't. (laughs) Jesus said, if you offend one of my little ones, it would be better if you put a millstone and put it around your neck and cast it into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. So God will hold us accountable, church, how we deal with other believers, how we help them, how we encourage them, how we strengthen them, amen? And we just don't need that. We get enough of it in the world. You get enough of it on your phone. You get enough of it on the billboard. You get enough of it on the TV and the, the ads that are out there. You don't need any help inside of the church as far as tempting you to sin. What you need is help that brother or sister to, to succeed. He continues. Um, Verse 15. Then when... Was no one following along? Everybody else was asleep? You're like, I have no idea where you are. Are we still in Hebrews? You mentioned it a couple times. (laughs) Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full-grown brings forth death. So, listen, being tempted is not a sin. Did you see that? This is very important. I hear this all the time. Pastor, did I sin? No. It's the next steps that bring you to a place of sin. Living on planet Earth, this is normal. And it is going to be hyper In your life as a believer, the devil will do everything you. Listen, how many of you thought that you had victory over something? Years went by. And the devil, at an opportune time, said, Let me just throw this one at them. Man. And you thought you were good. That's what James says. You gotta be on alert and you gotta be ready. And he says, Then when desire is conceived, so you've taken hold of it, you allow it to come to the surface. Notice, and when it's full grown, it brings forth death or destruction. Remember, we rarely, if ever, sin by ourselves, in that it only affects us. It usually affects everybody else. Let me give you an example. King David. We all know King David. Mighty King David. Wonderful man of God, right? Amazing man of God. But it said when he was around 50-ish that as the it was in the springtime and that the kings went out to battle. But that particular year, David, probably getting a little older, knees hurting, right? Said I'm just going to stay home in Jerusalem. And then one night he went up on his roof, right? And then he looks over on another roof and a woman is taking a bath. Funny enough, her name was Bathsheba. I mean, that shouldn't that then be like the clue? By the way, she knew whose roof that was. She is not innocent in this whole thing as well. But David is somewhere where he ought not be, yes? And so listen to this verse and think about David. And so, when desire was conceived, I pose to you that that happened when he decided not to go out. And now he's on his roof, and it bursts sin. He sees it. He desires her. He tells his servant to go. The servant says, isn't this Uriah the Hittite's wife, boss? Don't do it, you idiot. Now, he couldn't say that because he's the king. But do you see that? Even God was giving David the out right there. But David didn't do that. And so he, he, it was full-grown sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, yes. And what was the result of it? Brings forth death. Now, think about this. If David would have known Everything that happened from that one event, the death of his child, the rebellion of Absalom, the rape of his daughter, his continual family. Nathan said, the edge of the sword will never leave your house, David. Because of one event. Because in the beginning of the verse, it doesn't say anything until you get to the end of it, and you don't know that death is at the end of it until you start walking through it, and then you get there, and then it's death, and it's destruction. Is David David redeemed? Absolutely. Nathan the prophet came to him, and he said, David said to Nathan the prophet, not only have I sinned against God, but I've sinned. Uh, against everyone else. And so he repented of that, but he had to live with those lifelong consequences. Giving into temptation as a believer doesn't disqualify you from heaven. I need everybody to know that. It's not good, but God doesn't say, Oh, you're out. Because if that was the case, everyone in the room would never be able to drive. <laughs> or take a call from a customer service person. <laughs> it, the, the, the hope is in that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to clean us from all isn't all, all unrighteousness. That's the good news. Will you have consequences? Absolutely. But James tells us, listen, there are plenty of people in the Bible to learn from. Don't do it. I mean, Samuel, or not Samuel, Samson is another great example of that, isn't it? A failed life, a life that never reached his full potential. And yet, he was tempted, and this temptation he gave into it. And I like what he says in verse 16 because he says, Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived about two things. Number one, the trials, and number two, the temptations that come. Again, it's not unusual for people who fall into sin to blame God <laughs> instead of themselves. We have an entire nation of blame shifters, it's never their fault, it is always somebody else's fault. It was, I was born on the wrong side of the track. I was born this color or this race or this gender or whatever. Everything else is to blame but God. You are to blame. I am to blame. The best thing that we can do as believers is own our sin. Own our failure. Failure does not take us out. It proves that we're human. Remember, when you become a believer, you are not sinless. You're just supposed to sin less. Do you got that? Jesus is the only sinless, perfect person. But we should start to try to do, to do, to do? do. Well, maybe. To have less sin in our life and then a quicker, response to God for forgiveness. Okay. Every good gift, verse 17, and perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with, with, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So the person who is deceived, the person who blames God... James says that's impossible because only good comes down from God. Isn't that good news? Only good comes down from the Father of lights. Also, of his own will, he brought forth us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. See what James says here by the word of truth. The Bible is the instrument of the new birth. In every genuine case of conversion, it is the word of truth. The scriptures are involved. Without the scriptures, how could you have a a reformation in your own life? A turning around. Whether orally or in printed form, hearing from a pastor or from a radio station, apart from the Bible, we would not know the way of salvation. Indeed, we would not be able even to know that salvation was available if it wasn't for the Bible. Wouldn't it be a bummer if someone just said, Hey, you're a sinner. How do you know that? God said so. Have a good day. What? Oh, by the way, you're going to hell. Have a better day. What? No, by God's word, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are going to hell without His blood atoning for your sin. I don't know that without the Bible. That's why this world was in a period of time called the Dark Ages. Because it did not have the printed word of God to the common people. And when this book is in people's hands, and guys, when we're gone from planet Earth, this book will still be here. And people will open it up. And it will be like the front page news. And God's word will still transform lives. But it is only this book that transforms lives. Notice he says, Of his own will brought forth us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. First fruits, James is flashing back to the Old Testament, where the first fruits is what you gave unto God. That was the best that you gave. I love that James says, We're the best. We're, how, can, how can we? Look around the room. <laughs> I mean, would you save most of you? But God did. And He says, You are the first fruits. You're my special people. That's why the church is different. Then, what is going to happen in the tribulation? I got a wonderful question this week, actually a several question on Sunday's message. I will open up something and, and define it better for us so that we have a, a clear understanding of why the tribulation is happening in the first place because we need to understand that concept of why and who. God is dealing with, and why the church is gone from the situation in order to have a greater understanding. Amen? But that's coming this week. Sunday, verse 19. So then, he's going to tie that together. Trials, tribulations, right? Trials, temptations, we can do this. He says, then, my brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, here it is again, the implanted word. We'll get to that in a minute. When you become a believer, the word of God is implanted in you. When you hear it, Isn't it wonderful you can hear a message, you can hear something, you can read it, and you're talking with someone, and all of a sudden you're quoting a scripture that you've never memorized before, but boom, it just pops right out because it's inside of you, it's implanted. Notice, which is able to save your soul. So, he wants us as believers to let every man be swift to hear. Stop talking so much, he says. Listen, be better at listening to God. Slow to speak and slow to wrath. As a believer, hopefully, and I know that everybody is under construction, so no elbowing the spouse. Everybody's under construction. Everybody is trying to get to the same destination to make it through the tape through the finish line, to see Christ. But we're not all there yet. But we should continue to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. He says, for the last one, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you have ever gotten angry and done something stupid? I know nobody here, (laughs) hypothetically, and then you thought, wow, someone got saved because of that. Anybody? Nope. That doesn't bring people to, the, to a closer relationship with God. Not at all. He says, therefore, lay aside, put it aside. Remember the running analogy from Hebrews 12. Laying aside every weight that so, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Lay aside all filthiness. What James says here is lay aside what you used to be. Now, we're not going to put all of everybody's sins, what you used to be, on the screen. Amen? Isn't that great? Isn't it wonderful that you don't come in on a Sunday and your photo's up there with all your list of things that you did that week? I don't know how it got up there. The Holy Spirit's got the projector. So, lay aside our former. Whatever the former was, lay it aside. And whatever the former was, even if you were a good former sinner, which no one is good, no, not one, amen. But we like to call ourselves good before, even in our good filthiness. Doesn't that sound wrong? Lay it all aside. And the overflow of wickedness, out of the heart springs evil. Wickedness. And then he says, receive it with meekness, the implanted word. Do you guys do you know what meek means? It's really easy. Here it is. It's me-ick. That's it. You never heard that before. You've been at Calvary. Me-ick. It's knowing your proper place on planet Earth knowing who you are and who God is and what his word will do for you if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and get rid of your pride. Um, I, no show of hands. I, I can't stand pride. I can't stand to see someone prideful. I can't stand to see someone that you know is prideful about a topic that they know nothing about. Like Washington. Sorry. He says, to lay all of that aside and receive with humbleness and meekness the implanted word, notice, which is able to save your soul. This book will keep you out of hell. But not reading this book will send you. So, with all of that heavy, right? Then do it, he says. This is why I love James. James calls everybody out. And he says, here, here's the deal. How long have you been saved? He's going to to start telling us to prove it. And one of the ways of proving that we're a believer is the doing of it. But be doers of the word, not just pew sitters. James had pews back then. How many people go to church every week in America, just America? How about just in Horry County or in our state? They go in there week in and week out, but their life is not transformed. They're never a doer. You never see them doing any ministry ever, ever. James says, I'm going to call you out. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Listen, deceiving yourself. Because he's going to talk about religion in a minute. And this is what religious people do they think they're fine with the man upstairs. But I came to church on Easter and Christmas, I'm good. I gave. The last time I was at church. Granted, it was $5. And I make $50 million. But I gave. I dug deep. Now, James said, you're deceiving yourself. And I think about how many people are deceiving themselves each week coming to church. And nothing ever changes in their life. They hear something, but it never changes them. I was talking to somebody this week. I will not tell you who it was, but they're watching us on the internet. And he said, listen, I can't find a church that teaches the Bible where I live. But there's steeples all over. There's religion everywhere. But nobody is growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ because nobody is taking people through the Bible. This is the implanted word. This is how we learn. So you come in, you clock in to church. You think when you get to heaven, you've got... How many of you had those gold stars? (laughs) Anybody at school? I went to a Christian school when I was a little kid, and attendance was done by a gold star, and that was awesome. And the Baptist church we went to also did gold stars. And wasn't it a bummer when you missed? You're like, oh, no gold star. God doesn't care. He cares about your life transformed. He he cares about you doing the word that you hear on Sunday and Wednesday and every day on WXMB. Yes? Yes? Oh, it's an amazing radio station. Let me read to you from William McDonald's commentary. It was fabulous on this topic. Bear with me. He said, it's not enough to receive the implanted word. He said, we must obey it. There is no virtue in possessing the Bible or even reading it as literature. He said, there must be a deep desire to hear God speaking to us in an unquestioning willingness to do whatever he says. He continues, We must translate the Bible into action. The Word must become flesh in our lives. There should never be a time when we go to the Scriptures without allowing them to change our lives for the better. He says, To profess God's great love for the Word or even to pose as a Bible student is a form of self-deception unless our increasing knowledge of the Word is producing increasing likeness to our Lord Jesus. To go on gaining an intellectual knowledge of the Bible without obeying it can be a trap instead of a blessing. If we continue to learn what we ought to do, but we do not do it. We become depressed, frustrated, and callous. He says, impression without expression leads to depression. Let me say that again. That death, William MacDonald gold there. Impression without expression leads to depression. Also, we become more responsible to God. And the idea is the combination is to read the Word and to obey it. Obey it? What is that? Obey it. Just obey it. Well, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. This book's got nothing to do with that. Stop bringing feelings into your walk with God. Knock it off. How many times do you feel like coming to church on a Sunday? It's winter time cozy. I don't feel like going to this ministry. I don't feel like doing this or that. Has nothing to do with our walk. We are bond like... Guys, do you know what would happen to a slave if he went to his master and said, you know what, boss, I don't feel like serving you today. Oh, by all means, take a break. They would kill him. No, God doesn't kill us, too bad, no. Maybe he needs to rub some people out, I don't know. We have to come back to a place just like James said in verse 1, I am a bond slave of Jesus. And a bond slave never got to say to his master, I don't feel like it. I did it. And at the end of the day, when we do that, when we push through whatever it is so that we can get to church or do this ministry or to read the Bible, we become blessed. So be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Anyone who hears the word but does not change his or her behavior is like a man or a woman who takes a fleeting glance at a mirror each morning and then completely forgets what they see. Some of us are excited to forget what we see. (laughs) Again, he he derives no benefit from the mirror or from the looking into it. Of course, there are some things, again, that we would like to forget. But as a believer, we need to do something different when it comes to God's Word. Listen, sometimes that mirror tells you to wash or shave or comb or brush. Does it not? You look, that mirror says, you are a, a mess. Hit with it. What does the Bible do? Man, you're a mess. Let's clean up. Let's get to it. Well, I'll just, you know, God will just have to change me. Whoa, that's not what James says at all. Now, remember, this isn't us working our way to salvation. Amen. We don't need to. I. I we don't need to hear that. We don't need to go down that path. James already knows that you are saved. But what he says is, you have a part in fixing yourself. Do you not look in a mirror and fix it? Or do you say, mirror, do the work? And then it's the George Jetson, right? The machines come out and start cleaning them up. and I mean, we love that. But that's not how it is. That's not how it does it. God's word, when we allow it to impart inside of us, we get to work. Roll up your sleeves and do it. It's easy to read the Bible casually or because of a sense of duty without being affected by what we read. How many of you have read the Bible that way? You've read it and you just went over it and you're like, "What did what? It didn't do anything." We see what we ought to be, but we quickly forget and live if we were already When we read God's word, when we study the Bible, we have to slow down and we have to say, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? I've read that proverb a million times, but what are you saying to me right now today? He finishes up. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Notice the perfect law of liberty. This is a good Jew coming out of Judaism into Christianity, following his his half-brother Jesus as Messiah. He is a Jew of a Jew. And he says, listen, look at the perfect law and how through Jesus it sets you free. It's liberty. Listen, the one who is blessed is the one who does the work. When he hears it and he does it, it starts to change his life. He continues and he says, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he will get into that in the next chapter, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. For pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the from the world. So he's, he's hitting this at the end because it's a dangerous thing to fall into the trap of religion. But he says, if anyone is, thinks he is religious. Now, this word religion here means the external patterns of behavior connected with the religious belief. What does that mean? It refers to the outward forms rather than the inward spirit. It means the outer, ex- the outer expression of a belief in worship and service rather than the doctrines one believes. It's not head knowledge, it's do knowledge. Isn't it interesting that it's the be attitudes, right? To be them. You can't do those. But once you be (laughs) what Jesus has called us to be, once we're saved, James says, now you got to put it into practice. Now you got to do it. And the one that thinks he is religious but doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this one's religion is useless. Bridling the tongue. He will go into that into the next chapter. I know we're all excited about the tongue. I know no one has a problem with that, so we'll go quickly through it. But he says bridle the tongue because the, listen, how many of you, no show of hands, how many of you have been, um, and I want to say this in a loving way, like vomited on by somebody religious with doctrine and phrases and higher thinking and, how you're not this, you know, you're not like us. You're not in our special group. And that's what the Gnostics will be. When we get to First John, you're going to see, that's what John is tackling, this greater knowledge of you. And so this great swelling words they use, and they use religious words, but their life is not. I had a, I had a guy I knew when we first started the church. He was on the job site, and he goes, man, uh, this this guy that I was working with, Man, he he would cuss all the time, he would just get angry and yell at people, yell at the other subs all the time. And then he goes, I found out later he was a deacon at the church. That's religion, isn't it? And so James says, You can't do that. You have to be able to bridle your tongue. You have to control it. He's gonna tell us like the bit in a horse. He says, look how small the bit is that controls this massive beast, the horse. I know everybody has mastered that. (laughs) Verse 27, lastly. And so he, he defines what it really means to have this outward working in our life. And he says, then pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans, and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted or not blemished from the world. So James praises the man or the woman who visits the needy, the orphans, and the widows, and keeps themselves unspotted from the world. In other words, the practical outworking of the new birth is found in actions of grace, and a walk of separation. Let me say that so everybody gets it. Write it in the section underneath this verse. This is a practical outworking of the new birth in acts of grace and a walk of separation. We live in this world, but we don't have to have it taint us. We have acts of grace and mercy. Do we not see Jesus doing that? Everywhere he went. Acts of grace. Good old dead guy said it this way. It's a great way to end. He was talking about this chapter. And he describes these virtues as practical love and practical holiness. He said, we should put on our own faith on trial with the following questions. Do I read the Bible with a humble desire to have God rebuke me, teach me, and change me? <laughs> Let me say it again. Do I read the Bible? Some are like, don't read it again. Do I read the Bible with a humble desire to have God rebuke me, teach me, and change me? Am I anxious to have my tongue bridled? <laughs> Do I justify my temper or do I want victory over it? And how do I react when someone starts to tell me an offensive joke? Does my faith manifest itself in deeds of kindness to those who cannot? Guys, what is a widow and what is an orphan in James' day in the Bible? Remember, there is no welfare system. There is no government check. If you did not have family to take care of you, no one took care of you. Do you got that? So James says, this is what it's like to be a follower of Jesus, is find the hurting person in the room and minister to them. To the person who may not be able to help themselves right now. He said, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Well, read ahead. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Chapter 2, next week, we're going to get into the tongue, and James will continue to challenge us about our walk and about being doers of the Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your Word, and we thank you, Lord, for your, your servant James. And that, Lord, as bond slaves of Jesus Christ, we need to stop using the word, I feel or I don't feel like doing this or that. Lord, when we hear your word and when we read it, do we meditate on it? Do we chew on it? Do we slow down to hear what you'd have to say to us? So thank you, Lord, for our time tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship this last song. There will be people to pray with you up front. If you need prayer, come forth and receive prayer. The Lord bless you, and we'll see you in Revelation on Sunday. Let's worship the Lord. Never thought that the world has kind of lost its way. Mm-hmm. Crazy as it seems, yeah I know it's gonna be okay. oh yeah, it doesn't scare me. It's simple.